Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Double Down WNBA podcast. My name is Eric Nemchok, and alongside Stephen Trinkwald, we are concluding our tier ranking series going by position. Stephen, today we're going to be going over bigs. Uh, would you like to kind of, for those listeners who haven't heard the first two installments of this little series, would you like to kind of catch them up on what's going on here? Sure. We, we started out uh, strictly with uh, point guards or, or primary initiators, followed by uh, wings, and, and these are pretty much every other player that, that's remaining. And there are definitely some players who I think uh, we'll be talking about today who could maybe slide into the wing and play a little bit of three for you. But for the most part, you know, these are players that are either strictly centers or predominantly power forwards, maybe a couple of tweeners, as I was mentioning. But but this is pretty much the rest of the list here. And, and, you know, more so than anything, this is, I think, really where the bulk of the kind of star talent in the league is, you know, more, more so than the other positions. There's a lot more kind of high end talent in the top 10 or so rather than, you know, maybe the top five or six. I think you're right on that. You know, once I, when we were, uh, when we, before we really started putting this list together, you said, oh, there are a lot of good bigs. And I kind of cynically replied, yeah, and a lot of, a lot of lousy bigs too. But then when I actually looked over the list and and started ranking them, yeah, there are a lot of very, very, very good players on this list. So yeah, would you like to uh, get started here? Sure. Let's start with our first tier. Not sure about you, but my first tier had two players in it, and that is Brianna Stewart and Elena Deladon. Okay. Mine, mine also did. Um, you know, usually uh, for the first two exercises, I did, you know, tier one, superstar players, MVP candidates, whatever. For this tier, I did best two players in the WNBA. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think these are the best two players in the WNBA. You know, I think Stewart in particular, the number one player I have here is the best player in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, I mean, what, what can you say, honestly? She's elite offensively. She's elite defensively. I think between the two of these players, like, Deladon maybe has a little bit more like isolation chops than Stewart and maybe is a slightly better catch and shoot player, I would say. In yeah. my opinion, I think Deladon might be a little bit of a better option just getting you like a tough contested bucket, particularly in like the mid range or the mid post. And, you know, I think Stewie is better at just about everything else. I think Deladon is a little more skilled with the basketball. Like, if anything, she's just like a really, really tall guard or tall wing player but she plays she, she plays power forward most of the time so it, it'd be easier to list her as a as a big than a guard or a wing which you know is fair enough but yeah Brianna Stewart is just incredible all-around player the way she came back from her Achilles injury she really does literally anything you ask her to you know even even passable I mean she's an amazing if, if there's one thing that really separates her and Deladon it's probably the passing I think not that Deladon can't do it it's just like you said Deladon is more of a of a play finisher than a playmaker but Stewart can literally do anything at a very high level. And um, I think that's pretty much all you, have to, all you have to say about her, right? Yeah, I think, you know, one other thing I would say is that Stewart might be a, a little bit more like active as an off-ball player. Like she's going to be like engaged in your offensive system. That's true. She doesn't have the ball a little bit more, you know, screening hard, rolling hard, doing, doing those type of things. She's a good think, cutter. Yeah, she is a good cutter. Uh, definitely a, a lot more of an engaged cutter, I think, uh, than, than Deladon. Sure. But uh, for Deladon, I mean, we can just go over some of the numbers quickly, like 38% or better from three the past four seasons. She was over 40% in three of those. She's been over 50% from two the last five seasons. Of course, she like never turns it over at all. So, mm-hmm. I mean, these are two MVP players, <laughs> you know, and and I think both of us had Stewart atop of our ballot this year and uh, she was fantastic. Maybe, you know, even a little bit of a, a down year. Um, offensively to her standards but still uh much better than than most of the players that that we'll be talking about today and I think probably had her best defensive season as well so 
it's pretty ridiculous, you know. But one thing I wanted to say regarding Deladon is regarding the isolation thing. Usually, when you think of players, or I think when people have a discussion about, you know, who are the who are the hardest players to defend in isolation? Who are the hardest players to defend off the dribble or one on one? Your mind kind of typically moves towards a guard or a, or a wing oriented player, but in my mind, Elena Deladon is, is the hardest player to, to stay in front of one on one because either I mean you do you can't stay in front of her, but he'll she'll just like shoot over you. But she's just got so many moves, and her footwork is immaculate. That I mean, there's there's really nothing like she'll she'll put the spin move on you. She she has the hesitation, the the pump fake, and she'll lean in and draw the foul. Both these players extremely difficult to defend without fouling. By the way, again, I I just really can't say more than you've already said about both yeah. of them. Yeah, um, and just to kind of build off what you were saying, like Deladon is just gonna like ball rack so many players that are trying to guard her, especially if you know it's an undersized four, if it's a wing player. It's ridiculous, um, yeah. And, and with her uh, form, you know, if you do try to contest that a little bit too aggressively, you know, you're going to hit her on the elbow and she's going to get to the free throw line, as you were mentioning. So it's Steven, you know, when, it, when she was on the sky and uh, people were complaining about or opposing uh, teams, fans of opposing teams rather were complaining about how many foul calls she was getting. I just said, that's because she's really hard to defend without fouling. You know, it's, this isn't an egalitarian thing. Like you cannot defend Elena Deladon well consistently without following her and that's just because she's too big she's too skilled and she's got that really high release point and that the forward elbow as you said um which just makes it an impossible check really for for anybody so that's our tier one i think we can move on to tier two here how mm -hmm. many players did you have in tier two i had let's see one two three four five six i had seven how many did you have i had three. Oh, just three okay so we're, we're kind of separated a little bit who uh who's up top for you then in, in your tier two uh, the next player I had, the, the the top player in this tier is the reigning MVP of the league, Asia Wilson. Okay. Okay. I guess I was a little lower on Wilson than you. Why Why do you have Wilson so high? Well, she won the MVP. You know, okay. <laughs> neither, neither one of us really had her atop our ballots personally. You know, she's, uh, in terms of her own individual efficiency, like she's not really in the same neighborhood as the two players above her and the two players um, I have also in this tier. So, you know, she's she's yet to crack you know, 550 true shooting, which, you know, in John Quill Jones, a player who I also have in this tier, like her worst true shooting is, is above that. And she's been in the 600s every year before that. Like uh, Liz Cambage's career low in true shooting is above Asia Wilson's career high. So, so just in terms of like her, her own individual efficiency, like she's not quite there with these players, but I do kind of give her some extra props for, you know, dragging this team that we did not very have very high expectations for yes. that does not really have a lot of backcourt talent really you know they have uh, a great wing and a great additional front court player uh in this past 2020 roster but kind of you know really didn't get much from the point guard position uh outside of you know a surprising season from d robin and stuff like that but you know i think she gets a little bit of extra credit just to the way that she's able to kind of carry a team offensively you know dragging herself to the free throw line uh, obviously that's a, a very impressive rate for her and, and has been every season of her career. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's almost like impressive that, that she's never been a, a very efficient player, like considering how good she is around the rim and, and how often she does get to the line. But that's what happens when you take 40% of your shots from mid range. Mid -range you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. So she's atop this tier. I didn't really feel good about it, to be honest with you. If you know, you're doing the kind of starting your team exercise. She probably would be the third player I would pick out of these three players in the tier that, that she's with, but you know, she gets the MVP bump, I guess. Okay. The MVP bump. And I will say a lot of, and a lot of these other players in this tier, um, 
at least for me, you know, or, or a lot of these players who are maybe on her, on her level or, or slightly below her level or whatever, did not play last season, such as, you know, John Quall, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Cambage, Brittany Griner left early. Sylvia Fowles got injured, of course. So there, there's a lot of stuff to, there's, there's some gray area there for me, which maybe I was factoring in. I don't know. Um, but I mean, I can't disagree with you on anything you said about Asia. She, I, I would like to see the mid range either turn into a three point shot or like stop or, or turn into another drive to the rim. But that also takes into account how teams defend her. Um, I think on the aces, you know, they are going to try to take away the left-handed drive. Um, They're going to try to take away the paint from her, which as you said, it is pretty incredible how often she gets to the free throw line, given all of that. Um, I would like to see her in a more uh, forward thinking offensive system, but you're right. She can carry a team and that's not a factor you can rule out. You know, that's something that the first two players we talked about can definitely do. And as a low post player, you know, as a player who like thrives off of post-ups, maybe that's something that can be like taken out of the game. If you're like a really good defensive team and you're a sharp defensive team, like, especially late in the game, like late in the, like, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to make the last shot of a game be a post-up. Right. But you can't really take Asia Wilson out of the game. So that's, I, I can agree with you on that. And one other thing I'll say about Wilson, uh, it's a great point that you had mentioned, you know, for, for me, she's the only player I have in this tier that played last season. The other two players, uh, spoiler alert, Liz Cambage and John Quill Jones. But I also think she's the best defensive player in this tier uh, among these three players. You know, I think both of those players are, are very, very good defensively, but Wilson to me is, is a little bit better than those two and, mm-hmm. um, you know, better than, than Deladon, I would say as well. And in the same neighborhood as Stewart. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, so, so you had... I was sorry. I was going to say I had her three. Where did you have her? I had her seventh, but uh, I mean, I think that's not me hating or anything like that. I I think all the other players ahead of her, like have a legit argument and it's really tough. And it just does speak to the point that you made when we first started talking about how loaded the top of this list is. So who did you have three? I had Liz Cambage. I had Liz Cambage. Um, Again, hard to judge because she had, she didn't play last season and she maybe didn't play as well as we expected her first season in Las Vegas. But I think there are kind of some diminishing returns there when you have both her and Asia Wilson on the floor together. Liz Cambage, I think, is the most dominant post player in a group of extremely dominant post players. And she's also pretty skilled. I mean, I, you know, you, have, you, you look at when you think about skill for these really traditional back to the basket post players. I mean, John Cole Jones can shoot the three. Um, Brittany Griner is a very skilled player in her own right. Liz Cambage, I think, has the best mixture of, you know, three-point shooting, although I would not like to see her out there, um, skill around the basket, and passing chops. I think maybe we saw, like I said, those diminishing returns with her and Wilson in the front court together. I think we maybe didn't get to see as much as of what she can do compared to her last season in Dallas when she pretty much did carry the team. I mean, Skylar Diggins-Smith had a pretty good season that year as well, but when Liz Cambage is on, I mean, I think she's probably the best – pure, whatever you want to call it, traditional back-to-the-basket player in the game. And that's, again, not not sliding any of the other really, really good back-to-the-basket players in the game. But she just brings that other level. You know, some of these other players are kind of, you know, finesse. They might try to, you know, fade away uh, a lot of the time or, you know, with the baby hook or whatever, which is fine and good. But Liz Cambage will impose her physical will 100% of the time. And that's something a player of her size and her strength needs to be able to do. And, um, that's why I have her at number three. Yeah, I had her number four. I, I wish I had the the courage to rank her above Wilson. I wanted to do it. I should have done it. Uh, you're you're making me regret not doing it. And it's okay to to build off something that you had said. You know, I think if anything, 
like the the Wilson Cambage pairing is more damaging to Cambage than it is to Wilson. Like what Wilson is really kind of uh, striving to do offensively and what her game is kind of predicated on. Like it doesn't really require as much sort of like spacing, quote unquote, sure. you know, to kind of operate in the mid range to kind of attack from from that space as opposed to Cambage you know, who is doing so much like uh, kind of right in front of the basket at the front of the rim and stuff like that. And to me, she is the best offensive player in, in this three-player tier that I have. Uh, I think she's a better offensive player than, than John Quell, uh, who, who brings some different things to you and, and a, a better offensive player than Wilson too. As, as you mentioned, I think she's a better passer. And let's not forget, she also happened to be the starting center on the best defense in the league last time she played in the WNBA. So, you know, I don't think she's a perfect defender, but she to me, made such an impressive leap defensively from her last season in Dallas, which was a disaster in so many ways, despite her own offensive brilliance in, in that year. But uh, her first season in Vegas, I thought she was really, really good defensively and mm-hmm. um, a big part of the reason why they were uh, as successful as they were. So um, she's really good. I don't really understand the kind of uh, skepticism that surrounds her as a player. Uh, she's awesome and would love to have her on my team. And I have her number four. You know, and, and speaking to that defensive uh, stuff, Let's 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 keep it in perspective here. She's six foot eight and she's built like that. You're not gonna find anybody of that frame who's gonna be able to move their feet like really, really well to be able to stay in front of pick and rolls or whatever. She's more than adequate for what she is. Uh who'd you have next? Who's number four for you? I had Sylvia Fowles, and maybe this is a little bit of uh, you know, what's what's the opposite of recency bias? Like historical bias? Maybe it's a little bit of historical bias, but I still think Sylvia Fowles is uh, she's an elite player at what she needs to be elite at. And what I mean by that is she's always been a tremendous finisher around the hoop. She's always been a tremendous help and post defender. Like some players, you know, they might struggle with help defense, but they're really good post defenders or vice versa. Sylvia is, is amazing at both. She's a player who can anchor you on both ends of the floor still after all these years. And it's just a real shame how she, you know, she, she got injured last season. Again, you know, she was struggling with that. She tried to come back, didn't really, didn't really work out for her. And I, I'm afraid she might be at the, the tail end of her career now. So if you, if you, if you knock her for age, I, I won't argue with that. But honestly, I, I don't, the, of the players I ranked below her, I'm still waiting for somebody else to overtake her. Is that fair? I have her 10th. Um, but wow. Okay. I, I do think it's fair. I mean, these are some awesome players that, that are ahead of her. So, so here's kind of the, the knock against her, you know, Minnesota was the number one offense in the league after she went out. Uh, a, lot, a lot of that had to do with kind of a, a change in philosophy, right? Like they just totally changed the way they operated in terms of, you know, they played smaller, they played more spaced. To me, she, she doesn't impose her will offensively like as much as I would love a player, uh, you know, the most efficient player in the history of the league to impose their will. You know what I'm saying? Like I would love for her usage to, to be a little bit higher. I, w- I would love to be, for her to be used a little bit more as a pick and roll offensive player than you know uh how much of her offense just comes kind of from like straight post-ups but honestly like she still might be the best defensive player in the league like the way I know she only played seven games last year but the way she's like still playing pick and roll and two on two and and guarding two players at once and as you were saying defending the rim and obviously like you're just never going to post Sylvia Falls up with one of your great uh offensive centers it's not advisable it's not not advisable and I mean, she was so impressive to me defensively and uh, Minnesota as a whole was were 11 points worse per 100 possessions defensively with her off the court. And obviously there was a lot more sample size of that off the court than on the court. And 
you know, I, I think the injury does have to be a consideration. So I did have her 10th. I didn't feel great about it. And I do think there's something to be said that like, uh, I do think maybe she is still the best defensive player in the league. And, and this is the position where defense matters the most, right? That mm. that's, this is the anchor and she's still as good as anybody in my opinion. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, after Sylvia falls, I had John Quill Jones. <laughs> Again, this is in the range where it just depends on what you, what you value most. And I think the last time we saw John Quill Jones play, she wasn't quite as good as she could have been. But the reason I have John Quill Jones as high is because, well, twofold. One, she's fairly versatile offensively, fairly skilled. Um, I think maybe the three-point shot in her arsenal is a little bit overrated. I mean, she did shoot like 45% in two straight seasons from three. So, I mean, she's, she's pretty darn good at it. But for me, what I like about her is that she is really good at being vertical, really good at being vertical and using those long arms to the best of their ability. I mean, she's a terrific rebounder, both offensively and defensively. It seems like she like very rarely brings the ball down. I mean, maybe you can argue against that because you, you watch more sun games than I do, but um, she's really good at staying vertical and just using that length to the best of its ability. If, if that makes sense. Um, just an incredibly gifted player and still only what 25, 26 years old. So I think there's still some room to get better there as well. May, like maybe the three point shooting in, in 2019 was just an anomaly. You know, I mean, she went from what 47% to 31%. What's, what's the real John Cole Jones here. But the only knock I have against John Cole Jones really is that I think sometimes she goes up a little bit soft or her finishes like her a little bit soft. Like instead of like going, going back up with it strong, she kind of fades away or, or try, tries like a finesse finish or something like that. Like the two point field goal percentage isn't quite as high as where I'd like to, as where I'd like it to be. But other than that, I mean, I, I think this, this guy is still the limit for John Quill. And uh, I don't know, you know, it's, it's when, when you get into the, the discussion of, I ran a poll on Twitter a while ago of like, who's the best center, Cambage, Fowles, Jones, or Griner. And it seemed like everyone had different answers. Everyone, and it got pretty heated. So what do you think? So this is number five for you, right? Yes. I had John Quo Jones number five as well. Okay. Um, I, you know, one thing that I might disagree with, you know, I do think that she, she does bring the ball down a little bit more than I would love. And she does get her shot blocked a, a little bit more than, than I love. But defensively, you know, definitely playing with verticality. She is a great offensive rebounder, you know, borderline elite offensive rebounder, I would say. I think I like the kind of three-point weapon for her a little bit more, particularly you know, because she does play with Alyssa Thomas, you know, there, there's probably no other center in the league that would really match as well with Alyssa Thomas That's than John Quill Jones, you know what I mean? So they, they really are kind of a perfect pairing in that way. Even with that being said, you know, she might still be the worst defensive player in this tier and the tier below it for me, where, where we're going to talk about some really good players still, but her two point shooting, uh, as you mentioned, we did kind of see a career low in that, uh, still over 50%, which is good, but coming off, you know, um, for a player like that, I need it to yeah. be higher, though. Coming off 60% the prior season, and, and she is, you know, still, at, even after the down season from three, a, a career 38% shooter from there. So the things that I don't like are, I think, are similar to the things that you don't like. You know, the more finesse shots, the kind of uh, uh, dribble sidestep shots, the yeah, those are the ones that I, I wish would kind of get cut out of her game. Because if she was more of just, you know, a a straight pick and roll player, pick and pop player, offensive rebounder, you know, if she only did the things that she was elite at, she would be, you know, much higher on this list for me, but there is a, a little bit of kind of um, uh, bad shot selection in her game. And she, she turns it over a fair amount too, for a, a player kind of of this tier, but she's awesome still. And it's funny because we're, we're talking about how, kind of how much of a down season she had in, in 2019. And, you know, she was like third in MVP, I think. And, yeah. 
Uh, it was like the team's best season in the better part of a decade. And uh, her efficiency was down across the board, but she's, she's so good that I think even if she's at that level, she still belongs to be in this category. So um, and when you said uh, elite offensive rebounder, I'm looking at it now in none of the seasons she's played in the WNBA has she ranked below fifth in offensive rebounder percentage. So I'd say that's elite. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. good. Uh, So she's, she's the last player I have in tier two. Uh, My tier three has five players, but I know you're still in in tier two. Who's number six for you? Yeah, I'm in tier two. I I have these as qualified as MVP candidates or superstars. Um, So take that for what you will. After John Cole Jones, my sixth player is Candace Parker. If you told me I was going to do this before the season started this past season, um, I wouldn't have believed you, but the way she bounced back really, She's really turned back the clock and, and, and kind of uh, brought, back, brought us back to what makes Candace Parker such a transcendent player on both ends of the court. Well, we don't have to mention the defensive player of the year thing that uh, a lot of us might not have agreed with, but she is still one of the most versatile players in the league. She's still one of the most dangerous players in the league with the ball in her hands. And, you know, while maybe the transition play may be a little overstated or a little overrated. There's nobody in the league who can do, do what she does at her size with the basketball, both passing and driving to the hoop. She, I hate to use a cliche here, but she is a player who truly does make her teammates better. And not just because she's good at basketball. Like you can, you can do so many different things with Candace Parker in your offense and in your defense for that matter. Just, you know, the length, the skill with the basketball, the ability to elevate her game when, you know, when it, when it means the most, I mean, really there's not much I can knock on her game. Aside from like maybe the three-point shot, but even then, like she's not a horrible three-point shooter. I would say maybe once again, the shot, the shot selection would be my main gripe with her. But I mean, you, you really can't deny what Candace Parker can still bring to the game at, at, at her age. Yeah, and she had a pretty effective, you know, three-point shooting season. It, it was not on very high volume. It was her lowest volume in, in quite a few years, actually. But, you know, she made almost 40% of them. And amazingly enough, like this was her best percentage as a two-point shooter of her you know, career. Steven, it's like for this, for Candace, for Parker, I think for the three-point shot is less of, not that she shouldn't take them because she's not good at it. She should take fewer of them because she's so good at everything else. But I mean, if you're going to shoot it at 40%, yeah, go ahead. But yes, you're right. The, the volume has never really been that high throughout her career. Yeah, so, sure. And, you know, I think even if you don't agree that she deserved defensive player of the year, uh, she obviously had a terrific, terrific defensive season. And I think that was a lot of people's concerned coming into this year, um, just in terms of, you know, the, uh, the not herself version that we saw in 2019. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, for me, it's, it's kind of hard to like delineate Candace Parker and Neka Gumake defensively because of they you know, they complement each other so well, like Neka gives you the kind of switchability, the versatility, you know, she's not really the, the rim protector, but she'll kind of switch on pick and rolls. Candace will play a more kind of drop back scheme for you. But I had Parker eight, which is maybe a, a little bit low. The, the two players I had above her in this tier were Natasha Howard and Alyssa Thomas. Okay. Um, I think both of those players are still better defensive players than, than Parker is and more consistent defensive players than, than Parker is. I agree. Um, okay. Well, that, that's good. Um, <laughs> and, and obviously Parker is just like, you know, I've kind of grown tired of this term a little bit, but she is a unicorn offensively uh, just <laughs> in terms of like kind of uh, her, her ball handling, her passing, all, all the things that she does. But, you know, she will be going into her age 35 season. So as player of her skill set, you know, I think her game's going to age reasonably well, of course, as it, as it already has, but yeah, it's, it's less about Candace Parker's game as why I have her below those other players as, as much as I think very highly of the other two. Two things. 
and then we can move on. Two things. One, how many different players have you heard described as a unicorn? <laughs> like, it's supposed to be like, oh, this player is so rare in her skill set or whatever. But when every, when every big who can handle the basketball is getting described as a unicorn, it kind of defeats the purpose, right? Yeah, it seems to be a pretty common breed, I guess. Yeah, exactly. A common breed of unicorn. Or a similar thought pattern like, oh, so-and-so is so underrated. Well, if everyone thinks they're underrated, then are they really underrated? But I digress. And two, that's an interesting point you bring up about her uh, pairing with Neka Ogumake. They've played together for so long now. It's, it is pretty difficult to, to separate the two of them and their impact, right? I remember when, uh, when NECA had her MVP season. Was that, was that 2016? I think it was 2016. Um, and one of the main arguments folks were using against her was, well, that's diminishing what Candace Parker does. And like, I, I thought that was kind of silly at the time. But I mean, when you have both of those players together, it is they do work so well in tandem and they are a huge reason why the Sparks have been so successful over the years. So that is a really good point. I, I hadn't considered that. So um, I guess the, the first player that we haven't talked about on my list would be Natasha Howard at number six. Uh, where did you have Howard? Uh, I had her lower. I had her on my tier three, actually. Okay. Why do you have her so high? Um, just because of, you know, what she, she does defensively. I think she is maybe the second best defensive player that, that we'll be talking about today behind fouls. Uh, She's if if she just had a little bit more stretch to her game, I think she's kind of like the actualized version of, of the modern big, where she can she can score on the interior, she can score from the perimeter, she can defend on the perimeter, she can defend on the interior. Like there really aren't too many holes in in Howard's game, but you know coming into to this season that that would have been the case. But she did have such a weird offensive year. Yeah, uh, it was it was such kind of like a, a weird version of Natasha Howard that we saw particularly for the first you know, 75% of the season before she kind of really uh, clicked a little bit more, particularly in the playoffs. You know, I think we kind of saw a little bit more of what we expected from her, but I, I think she is just such a valuable defensive player. She can do maybe a little bit more than, I mean, we know that she can do more than she's asked of offensively because we saw it when, we saw when it, yeah. Stewart and Bird were out. So I think kind of how she elevates you defensively, I, I don't think Seattle would be the same team defensively if it wasn't for everything she was able to do as great as, you know, Clark and, and Stewart and Lloyd are defensively. Like, I think Howard is kind of what really makes them go, uh, even if they have some some capable backup bigs. So that's kind of why I have her in this tier. Like, I think she can pretty much make you uh, a competitive defense almost on her own. That's a good point. And I, I, I do see where you're coming from with that. I, one of the things that I do like about Howard speaking to your point about defense is that she can make your scheme and your scheme can be just about anything and she'll excel at it. And that is so valuable to have on your team. You know, when you said pertaining to her, her fit with Stewart, you don't want Stewart guarding fives. You want Stewart guarding fours. Howard, like she might be a little undersized, uh, like height wise and strength wise, but she, I think she more than makes up with it with her activity and, you know, her length and her ability to recover and all that stuff. Um, maybe I just dinged her a little too much for her weird season this, this past year. I mean, the minutes were way down. The, the activity was down for a, a, a big portion of the season. I, I don't know. I don't know. And I, I think it seemed like at times she was just not there, you know, not really making much of an impact on either end because uh, she followed a lot too. That, that was the other thing. Um, it just seemed like she took herself out of the game very often. But I don't know. Maybe Seattle was just at a point where like, okay, we have more depth than anybody. So why should we – why should we tax this player who's coming back from something? So I don't know. I, you make some good points. No, I, I agree with you to an extent. You know, she did only play 21 minutes per game. But, you know, the other thing, and I think this isn't necessarily a, a positive 
in this particular case, but I think it can be spun as a positive in that she went from scoring 18 points per game in 2019 to she literally cut it in half, nine and a half points per game in 2020, and she was still as effective as a defensive player as she has been. You know, a lot of players, when you are kind of asked to take such a backseat, she went from being pretty much, you know, the alpha and the omega for them offensively last year to their kind of their fifth, fourth or fifth player uh, offensively for them this year. And uh, again, I, I, I think if we're really saying, oh, look, look at how well she accepted that role, it, it's kind of giving her a little bit too much credit um, in, in a lot of ways. But uh, there is something to be said with how good she still was defensively, uh, despite that uh, really kind of taking, um, you know, half as many shots. Uh, per That's a good game. point. That's a good point. Oh, and what was her, what was her, uh, her on off net like that one, like in 2019, it was, it was something really stupid, right? It was like, yeah, it was like 40. It's ridiculous. Ridiculously high. Like yeah, um, so and she's really good. Just quickly, like um, a little bit of extra credit, just because I think more so than a lot of players that, that we're talking about in these top two tiers, like you really can't get away with her as your full-time four or your full-time five. Okay. So the versatility, the positional flexibility. So that was six for me. Have we gotten that far on your list? Yeah. I had Parker at six. Um, I had Asia Wilson at seven. Okay, and we talked about her, right? Yeah, we talked about her, her already. Uh, and I could see her over the next couple of seasons jumping up to an even more elite level. I mean, the, her her body of work speaks for itself. Um, we'll see what her supporting cast look like looks like next season, and we'll see what her level of competition looks like next season, especially at the position. But I mean, she's not going to go away in this conversation. So yeah, and one thing I'll just say quickly, you know, to kind of rehash it, like I think if if Vegas has Candace Parker instead of Asia Wilson, like they're not making it all the way to the finals, but, but they're different games and they're different roles. So, you know, that's not to say that you are completely wrong for having Parker ahead of Wilson, but it's, it is something to consider. It's one spot. Yeah, but no, I get it. I get it. I get it. Uh, But just for that specific role. So my number seven player uh, was my favorite player in the league, uh, Alyssa Thomas. I had her the second player in this tier behind Howard and, and above Parker, uh, Neko Gumake, who I have nine and Sylvia Fowles. Where did you have Thomas? I had eight. I had her eight. Okay. So why is she, why is she your favorite player in the league? Let's, let's get biased here. <laughs> uh, I, I honestly don't know. I think it is, you know, some of it has to do with Eric. I'm not sure if you know this or not, but she has two torn uh, labors in her shoulder. I thought I read that somewhere on the internet, um, but it's on the I, internet. I, I actually just it. heard it the other day. Oh, wow. Okay. Amazing. So, uh, but just, you know, the, the intensity that she plays with um, her, her physicality for an undersized for, you know, it seems like she's never really going to be outstrengthed by a player at her position, or even if she's, uh, you know, kind of driving into some fives. You know, there are definite definite limitations in her game, right? You know, I always point to kind of how Minnesota plays her, where because John Quill Jones isn't the most physical five, and and Thomas has her own limitations to her game. You know, they'll they'll put Dantas on Jones, and Jones can't really overpower her, and they'll just stick Sylvia Fowles on Alyssa Thomas and and have her stand in front of the rim the entire <laughs> game. And it's a very effective strategy if you have Sylvia Fowles and. Uh, I think they're, but not a lot of teams can really kind of take advantage of that. And, you know, I think we've seen over the past uh, two playoff series that she's, um, or the past two playoffs, I should say, that she's a superior player in that situation than Candace Parker. She, she's outplayed her uh, Parker, particularly in 2019, which, which is a down year for Parker. So, so maybe it's not fair to say that, but. She's play, she outplaying everybody in 2019. I mean. Yeah, she, she's, and I mean, the other thing is, you know, she, she'll give you 40 in a playoff game anytime you need it. Uh, minutes, not points. She, she probably won't give you 40 points. But yeah, the, the passing, the, the defensive versatility, the, um, uh, the playmaking defensively, the, the one-person transition. transition uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, she, she has such a specific and, and unique game that 
so many other players probably if they had the same exact game it would drive me crazy but for some reason i i love it and i i i love watching her play i'm very grateful she plays for the team i root for you know hot take time if there is a unicorn on this list i think it's Alyssa thomas actually i mean sure she because what other player fits this mode like she's a one a, a one woman fast break which i don't think you can say about any of these other players um she will make your she single-handedly makes your transition offense she can single-handedly break your half-court offense um she can defend anywhere on the floor and uh she has two torn labrums but can still play 40 minutes of the playoffs and get triple doubles like nobody's business it's such a fascinating player to me Alyssa thomas is and uh like a few years ago you know i saw the potential but you know it's almost like this stuff with the shoulder and everything it's been really interesting to watch her career arc because i mean she came into the league as a small forward who you know they called her mini mini lebron because of the strength and the and the freight train um comparisons but you know it's like a small forward can she improve her jump shot or whatever i mean that's that that question is dead in the water because she's never going to improve her jump shot because she cannot raise her her shoulders or her arms above her shoulders anymore but she's turned into this player who's an undersized four, but not for the reasons you want your four to be undersized, which is like a stretch four, right? I mean, that's a great point. Yeah, I mean, it's such a just such a unique player. Uh, you can even span this over to the men's game, I think. But yeah, there, there's no one like Alyssa Thomas. Um, I, I keep waiting, like, for the other shoe to drop. You know, like, okay, well, the lack of the outside shot is going to catch up with her eventually. You know, the injuries are going to catch up to her eventually. But she just gets better and better and better every year, and she just the pure willpower behind her game is is incredible. So yeah, I have no qualms with Alyssa Thomas being higher than than eight. I have her eight. You have her seven. That's that's fine with me. She's awesome. Cool. So eight, I had Parker. Uh, number nine, I have Neka Ogumake. Um, and, and this is kind of where we are in your list as well. Who's number nine for you? I had Brittany Griner, and I'm actually kind of surprised that I had Griner higher than you did. Not a secret. I'm, I'm not a huge fan. I think her, if I can put it this way, I think what what is perceived as her strength is overstated in that, you know, she's got the room. What is that? What would you say that is? Shot blocking. And maybe, I mean, if you look at, if you look at her career arc, like she's trended down as a shot blocker. I'm not sure if that's because teams are, you know, finding different ways to attack her or not go at her, or if she's, I mean, I think she has lost a step, like, like explosively, uh, for sure. I mean, she's in her 30s now. She's not the, the beast she once was, protecting the rim or whatever. You're still not going to go directly at her, but, uh, you know, I, I think it used to be where you could overcome the lack of, you know, mobility on defense by the fact that you just were not going at the rim when Brittany Griner was in the game. Now, like, you can get her out of position fairly easily and get to the rim. Um, she fouls. Like she doesn't, her foul rate has dipped, but it still seems like she makes so many silly mistakes on defense, whether either she's just not paying attention or she's out of position or she just commits a, I don't care foul. And when you're your team's most important player, you can't afford to do that. I I wish I could keep this to purely skill perspective or purely physical talk, but that's part of the game too. You know, the, the, the mental game. And, um, She's still a horrible rebounder for her size at the position, which does, is the does most, that bother you, Eric? It's just a bit. I might have talked about it before, <laughs> but I mean, like, there's there's a huge correlation between the the games that Brittany Griner has played for Phoenix over the years and the amount of times Phoenix has been 
a below average rebounding team, which has been always since Brittany Griner has been in Phoenix. Um, now I will say her development as an offensive player has been awesome to watch. Like her skill as an offensive player, you know, she's, she's got the turnaround. She's got the, the drop step, the baby hook, basically anything you want from a pure low post player. She's basically unguardable down there one-on-one. It's just, for me, it's the matter of one rebounding and two taking herself out of the game when it's not really necessary because I mean, this this might sound kind of weird and corny to say, but the only person who can take Brittany Griner out of the game is Brittany Griner, and it happens just a little too often for me. Rant over. Yeah, I want to react to a, a couple of things that you said there. With regards to the fouling, you're right. Like, the numbers really aren't that bad, but they the bad ones so stick worse, with you yeah. so bad because the ones that, that are in your mind are, you know, it's – it's the fourth quarter of a close game and you just swipe someone passing you by for no reason at all. It's not going to make any effect in the game, but you pick up your fifth fall for, for, for no reason for, with no value added to it at all. Um, you know, offensively, like she might be the best player we've talked about outside of tier one. Like she's, like you said, she's completely unstoppable. Um, I have her 12 and in a tier lower than the players that we're talking about before this. Uh, so there's, there's two players in my, tier four and she's the second one and I just I need a full season of her caring defensively again like Mm -hmm. just take that end of the court seriously for 34 games and you'll go way higher on this list because it's just not there like and it doesn't help that you know individually offensively she had her her worst season since her rookie season um but you know even beyond that like it's just the defense for me you've got to do more than just stand there and, and get blocks when they're kind of taking it right at you you know what i mean and she's she's good at those she's good at blocking shots but even then would love to see her actually go vertical instead of squatting down all the time this is for me you know putting her this low i immediately didn't feel good about it because she's such a tremendous offensive player and i i might be taking the bubble a little bit too much into consideration you know seeing that team just absolutely take off as soon as they lost her pretty much and, and being able to be freed to play a, a a way that didn't have to kind of acquiesce to getting Brittany Griner 40 post touches a game. Um, but even more so than all of that, it really is just the defense for me. Like she's, it's, it's amazing that she made all defensive team in, in 2019 when she was not very good that year either. But um, yeah, th- this is a player for me who, if we did this same thing in the off season last year, she would have been way, way higher. But uh, you know, I think, her her game eventually sours on everybody. It sounds like it happened to you a couple of years ago. And I, I think for me, it, it's just, you know, I, I just wish the the consistency was on, on that one end because I, I love her offensive game so much, even if it is a little, you know, antiquated with the post-ups. But uh, if you can't stop it, you can't stop it. And right. they definitely can't stop her. You know, and, and it's interesting you say that. Um, and by the way, offensively, her, her free throw rate has, has gone down big time too, which I think is a concern. But I mean, speaking to the offense versus the defense, it's kind of like, it's been interesting to watch her grow as a player because coming into the league, she was this transcendent defensive player. Um, the league introduced defensive three seconds uh, in 2013. I don't think that was a coincidence um, when, when Brittany Griner was first drafted. Uh, but like I said, like the shot blocking has gone down. The offense has gotten tremendously better skill wise. And like, we know you're not stopping Brittany Griner down there, but like, yeah, the defense and the rebounding, and I, I'm one of those people who's, who's a strong believer that you cannot separate defense from rebounding. Like, they, they go hand in hand. You've got to finish off defensive possessions with the rebound. And um, 
it hasn't been happening too often in Phoenix lately, and uh, that's she's the main culprit in my opinion. But still an elite player, still awesome, still uh, really really good. She's my my ninth ranked player, by the way. Who, who do you have uh, nine? Yeah, nine for me. I had Neko Gumake. I think you know this is one where this could be too high for Neko Gumake. It could be too low for Neko Gumake. Like if you're just basing it on her 2020 season, it's probably a little bit too high. Like it's I think it's been very much discussed how kind of weird and unengaged and uninvolved her offensive season was. But like, I was pretty disappointed with her season defensively too. It, it seemed like she was never quite on the same page with whoever her pick and roll partner was. You know, she had more kind of defensive laps in concentration or decision-making than, than we're really ever used to seeing from Neko Gumake. And, you know, it's funny, like uh, July 1st is I think the, the kind of cutoff age for, for basketball reference ages. So Mm -hmm. like by their definition, she just played her age 29 season, but she was 30 for the entire season. It's just kind of one of those things where the the season happened much later than people anticipated. So, so she is going to be like uh, 31 next year. I, I, I don't know. Like she's obviously, you know, one of those players who's just always just uh, an efficiency force despite because, you know, she's, she's doing like the, uh, the early duck-ins and, and a great pick-and-roll player and all that stuff. But for for me, like, both both ends of the court were probably equally disappointing for me. I agree. I agree. And it, I have her at number 10. But like you said, she could be higher, she could be lower. Uh, the bubble season was disappointing for multiple reasons. For me, for me, it looked like she didn't look healthy. Like, I don't want to make excuses, but she trended downward sharply in, in several categories. Like, rebounding was way down. Um, defensive playmaking was way down free throw rates has not really been that good since her MVP season which is kind of surprising for a player who is as physically as imposing as she is Uh, she did actually have the second or tie for the second highest uh, true shooting percentage of her career last season which is interesting because as you said before it just didn't seem like she was impactful as I think that's the word uh, we're both looking for she just didn't seem as impactful as we're used to I still, I'm still confident, like, she's, you know, age 30, age 29, <laughs> however you want to categorize it. I still think she's a star. I would still love to have her on my team any day of the week. But uh, I'm somewhat concerned about her career moving forward because she's a player who, you know, I mean, she came into the league as a really, really athletic player and a really, really strong player. And while the strength may still – well, she may still have the strength and the basketball IQ – you know, the, the downward trends, you know, for her free throw rate and her defensive playmaking and the rebounding, that is concerning to me. Whether or not she was unhealthy, she was healthy, whatever last season, the bubble may not have suited her as, as much as other players. You know, you don't know. Um, I think she will bounce back next year, although I think the days of her being an MVP candidate are over. Yeah, I think that's fair. But even if she's not MVP candidate Neko Gumake and she's just – you know, insanely efficient and can do anything defensively, you know, can guard uh, on the perimeter. And, you know, obviously she's not like a rim protector, but, but she's still a a very good defensive center. If if she's playing that role, Um, you know, any team would be happy to have her next year, even coming off of of a down season. So I had her nine, I had falls 10, as I uh, talked about before, and this is the end of, of my tier uh, two, I'm sorry, no, my tier three, I think we also talked about everybody in this tier for you, and we're going on to your tier three. Uh, we're actually in my tier four, because I actually had uh, Ogumike and Howard both in a tier three alone. Those are like the players who I separated. You know, they're not going to 
and you know now if we talk about Natasha Howard like that it makes me feel kind of dumb but a tier between MVP candidates and a tier between all-stars like they're they're somewhere in in between in that gray area um I think that's a good classification you know they're they're definite all-stars but maybe like and strong all-stars but maybe not you know MVP MVP yeah 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 although (laughs) to be honest like Griner probably not MVP MVP either but that's yeah but we both picked her before the season so we did we did um, I won't so, do it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have uh, I have two players in, in tier four. Uh, Griner, we already talked about twelve. Number eleven, I have Dierica Hamby. Okay, I have her at twelve. So my my next player is Hamby as well. Cool. Tell tell us about Dierica Hamby. Uh, well, I think the thing that's said more than anything else for Dierica Hamby is that she would be a starter on most teams, and she wouldn't be a starter on, on most teams. I mean, I mean, unless you consider one more than half the teams, most teams, then yeah, I, I guess so. But she would be a, a bench player on most title contenders. I think maybe if she was like a starting four for Chicago, then they would be a a, a title contender and, and she would be a starter. But otherwise, you know, Connecticut, she she probably wouldn't start for them. Vegas, she went Cambage back, she wouldn't start for them. She wouldn't start for LA. She wouldn't start for Seattle. She probably wouldn't start for Washington. So she's a really, really great third big and, and a super sub you know what I mean she's she's awesome and and the versatility that she gives you to be able to play some three big lineups um is is great that's not really a knock on her to say that she wouldn't start for the very best teams in the league no. because this is where all the stars are you know what I mean and and she's a really really good player but maybe not quite at that level but that being said she's incredibly malleable you know she shoots it from three a little bit you know I don't think the volume is maybe where I would like it to be I think she could probably do a little bit more from there but uh with that being said you know the one season that she really had high volume from three she she didn't shoot it very well so so maybe there's some correlation there um but I think the big reason why I have her ahead of Griner is just that like she you don't have to change your identity when you're playing Jerrica Hamby she'll she'll do anything you need her to do um She's an absolutely elite transition player for a big, you know, we're talking like uh, 22% frequency in transition. That's like Alyssa Thomas levels. You know, I, I don't think she's as good of a transition player as Thomas because she's not, you know, leading the break necessarily. She's more kind of finishing the break, but it's still a super valuable thing to have. And, and I think, you know, Hamby is unfairly like maybe typecast at least from like an observer perspective as like a, a try hard or like a hustle player but she has like an, an insanely high skill level like her yeah, she's footwork, skilled, very skilled yeah. her, her footwork is amazing she has great anticipation playing off the ball in terms of like a cutter or getting in position as the dunker spot her finishing around the rim is awesome it's like 70 percent on nearly 60 percent frequency so you, you don't get a ton of bad shots from her you know i think her her driving game isn't maybe elite but it, it's fine uh, as a roller, she's she's awesome. So, you know, she she doesn't do anything poorly, really. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Uh, you pretty much covered it all. I mean, the one thing I wanted to add is that um, she was a very good defensive playmaker last year in, in, in steals, uh, 2.9 steal rate. She, which let's see, that was I steals per game. She was she was sixth. I, I'm not I'm not seeing steal rate on here. It's just basketball reference. But anyway, um, she's she's really good at what a small ball big needs to be good at. And and you made a great point about just her being a perfect plug and play player. And I think it's pretty cool how she, and I don't think this is cool how she struggled early in her career, but she really came into her own as a bench player, as a, as a, as a super sub, as a sixth woman. Um, 
And by the way, I think she actually could start on Washington, depending on how things play out next season or over the off season. Um, Cause like, think about her with all that floor spacing. That'd be, that'd be pretty yeah, cool. She, she would eat inside for sure. Yeah. That, that, I think, it, I think it's debatable. And, and she's still, she's still in, in her athletic prime as well. So yeah, Hamby, um, it does seem like she gets better every year too, doesn't it? You know, I mean, the last season was the, the first season when she had a legitimately dependable three point shot, I think. And she also passed the ball better than she ever has. Um, stole the ball more often than she ever has. So we'll see if she can keep it going. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very impressed with how she's, how she's developed over the years. That was my, that was my rank 12 player, by the way. Okay, cool. So first um, in tier four. So that, that was after, uh, after Hamby and Griner, that was the end of my uh, tier four. My tier five is four players. I, I had a pretty hard time with this one. Uh, it, it initially was two tiers uh, of 11 players. And then I, I uh, consolidated them and then I broke it back up into two tiers mm-hmm. and, and uh, ended up with, with two tiers. So uh, I'll just go through them here and we can kind of figure out what we want to talk about. Uh, 13, I have Demiris Dantis. 14, uh, I think this is one that I don't feel great about, but Bree Jones. 15, I have Elizabeth Williams. 16, I have Latoya Sanders. And that's my tier break. Uh, what does this range look like for you? A little different, a little different. Uh, in my tier four, so I led tier four with Hamby. And I've got Emma Mieseman after her, Azaree Stevens after her, and finishing with Latoya Sanders at 15 and Shanae Gumake at 16. Am I still rating Shanae Gumake too high? I, I thought... I, well, I had Gumake 18. So, I mean, okay, it's, been, right. it's been two seasons since we've seen her be good. I mean, granted, she didn't play last year. So, I mean, I've got some skepticism on whether she even continues her WNBA career. With, I, as, as do I, yeah. Um, you know, we, we don't really have to go through all that. But now, but, it's been a season since Latoya Sanders played, and we both have her pretty high. Well, she was really good the last time we saw her. I love know. Latoya Sanders' game. I don't know about you. Yeah, and um, she's kind of like single-handedly like rewriting the narrative that you can't be efficient living off two-point jumpers. 2018 was, was kind of the pinnacle of this. She shot 61% on two-pointers, and Pretty 70% efficient. of her shots came as jumpers. Pretty so efficient. 56% on jumpers and 70% around the rim. So, I, I mean, defensively, like, she, she does it all. She's a little, you know, small for the Liz Cambages of the world, as, as we saw the last time uh, she played. Um, but other than that, you know, can guard on the perimeter with pretty much any, like, a, as well as any other player in this uh, list that we're talking about today. Um, you know, her 2019 wasn't the same kind of insane efficiency, but, but it was, uh, you know, still better than league average and, and she's really good. And, uh, you know, defensively is kind of where she, she makes her mark and having great offensive efficiency doesn't hurt. So maybe we're a little high in her. She is one of the older players we'll be talking about, yeah. uh, today, but she's, she's really good. So, um, did you want to talk about any of the other, uh, players that I had maybe 13 through 16. I'll, I'll go through it again. Dantes. Yeah, why do you have Bree Jones so high? Well, she had the best defensive full season of, of any of these players in, in this tier or the tier below uh, her. She was 60% from the field. Have, being the best defensive player as a center and, and shooting 60% from the field is a pretty good combination. Like, it is. Uh, we... we talk about Bree Jones a lot on this podcast probably more than uh we should but you know coming into this season like she probably wouldn't even been close to my top 30 and I have her number 14 she's an elite offensive rebounder still um she's an effective 
defensive player, you know, if, if a very limited one, but she's very good around the basket. You know, she, she can't guard on the perimeter, but if you're playing a very specific scheme, she, she's not going to kill you. And Connecticut was a very good defense, and obviously she's surrounded by good defensive talent. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be the, want to be the team that gives her her next contract, but the, I guess that combination of, of her offensive efficiency, and I do, did think she had, as I mentioned, the best defensive season of any player, you know, in this 13 through, let's call it, 23 range. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, she had a career. Uh, I don't think either of us were expecting her to be, to be that good. Like, I knew, she, I knew she could offensive rebound. I knew she could finish. But, I mean, she sustained it for the entire bubble pretty much. And, and she absolutely did not break them defensively. So, yeah, props. Uh, so the next tier I had was 17 through 23. I'll go through them uh, quickly again, then you can kind of uh, go through where you were in the same range. 17, uh, the first player in this tier, I had Cheyenne Parker, 18, Shanae Gwumake, 19, Emma Misaman, 20, Maisha Hines-Allen, 21, Azra Stevens, 22, Tina Charles, 23, Brianna Turner. Okay, my tier five, I had Cheyenne Parker, Elizabeth Williams, Maisha Hines-Allen, Brianna Turner, who, that's, that's an interesting one, um, Damaris Dantas, Tina Charles, and Maria Vadiva. Vadiva, higher, nice. What what number was that for you? A twenty-three. Okay. 23. Uh, so just uh, just a couple of spots higher than I have her here. So that means there's uh, a there's still that... a lot of unknown with her, I think. But yeah, sure. I really like what I saw in, in limited minutes both seasons. Yeah, for sure. And she's still extremely young. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, younger at this point, or she'll always be younger. I guess. So she's younger than uh, you know projected uh, lottery pick. Uh, Arella Garantis. So yeah, I, I I think you know over a longer season, it's going to be interesting to see how she plays defensively. But she she's an awesome offensive player. I have her twenty six uh, in in tier seven, but uh, I honestly was worried I had her a little bit too high. So did did you have Maisha Hines Allen in, in this tier that you mentioned? Yeah, I ranked her nineteenth. Um, this is hard for me to evaluate because uh, she broke out as an offensive player, but she kind of had to. And defensively, I'm not sold yet. Can she play the five full-time? I don't think so. Um, she certainly does give you plenty of strengths, but as a, as a defender, like, you know, she's going to get, she's going to get overwhelmed against most of the uh, higher tier players on this list. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with her this off season. Yeah. So you had, uh, I had Miesem in 19 and, and Heinz Allen 20 kind of right, okay. uh, right back to back, but you had Miesem in a little bit higher than that, right? Yeah. I had her Miesem in 13th. I, she, she had a down year. Um, but to me, that was more indicative of what talent should be surrounding her, ideally. If, we, if we're looking at these, the remaining players on this list are not going to be carrying your team on, on offense. And I think it's, like, I don't want to say it was, it was expected that Miesman would have a down year by her standards, but I'm not surprised that she did, just because of how absolutely devoid of talent, especially towards the end there, that Washington was. Um, I still think she's an elite complementary player. Uh, we'll see if she gets the bag this offseason, though. Okay, so so one player I wanted to ask you about. So Miesemann was 13. Can you remind yeah. me where you had Elizabeth Williams? I had her 18th, uh, just below Cheyenne Parker. Okay. Maybe uh, maybe another matter of, like, talent around her. Um, yeah, for me, just because of their specific games and, and kind of, I think, what I'm looking for from a center, I have Williams 15th uh, at the end of one tier and Miesemann 19th in a different tier. Williams, I don't think is is obviously going to 
do a ton for you offensively. And I don't think she really deserved the all defense nomination that, that she got, but I do think she's that caliber of player, you know, maybe not a first team all defense center, but, but a, a second team all defense type center. And, you know, she's never really been on a good offense um, mm-hmm. as this starting center in, in the five years she's been in Atlanta. Um, but, you know, the numbers have always been considerably higher, at least when, when she kind of had, you know, healthy McCautry and Hayes on her team. And, and then the kind of backup units are really what, what tanked them. But I, I just think you can, you can do some successful stuff around with Elizabeth Williams as your starting center. And I think Misa in her, although she is great offensively, um, you know, she's not really a four defensively. She, she doesn't really give you enough defensively as a five either. So that's okay. why I'm a little bit lower on her and, and even though, you know, she's uh, a more kind of skilled basketball player and can do more things, you know, in terms of like had a 50, 40, 90 season and all that kind of stuff. Um, Williams, for me, it just makes a little bit more sense kind of putting together uh, a, a, a team, if you will, when you, you know, because she, she, I think she's a lot more talented defensively, obviously. Well, at center, yes. But this is, this is bigs, not centers. But That's true. I, 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 get, I get you. I get you. But do you, do you view Misamin more as like a, a power forward or? I do. Yeah. Okay. I don't think she's, I don't think she's a center. Same reasoning as, as Heinz Allen, actually. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I just don't think she can defend centers. So I had Azra Stevens 21 and this is one for me that I think can definitely jump up with a full season. You know, she's, she has only played about 40% of her team's regular season games the, the past two seasons and her defensive playmaking, even if she's not a great defensive player, kind of playing in and play out like, what she does on that end and with her blocks and steals is, is so what Chicago needs. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Maybe I was higher on her than I should have been, but the things that I saw when she was on the court compared to the things that I saw uh, after she got injured were pretty significant, you know, and I think she's, she's still growing. And I think she's still pretty skilled offensively. You know, she might not be the stretch four or stretch five that she's made out to be, you know, like the three point shooting could be better, but uh, she moves very, very, very well. And she's a pretty good catcher and finisher, which, I mean, when you're playing with Courtney Vandersloot's, good, good skill to have. I think, I still think she's got a lot of untapped potential there. Maybe, maybe forecasting a little bit, maybe a little bit of homerism, but uh, yeah, I think I had her at 14, so maybe a little high. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely there. The potential is there. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think the, the three ball, it falls when she shoots it. would like to see the volume go up a little bit, but even more encouraging, you know, 55% from two, as you were saying, she's, she's been a really great play finisher, particularly. And that's with a lot of two-point jumpers, too. So that does speak to the finishing ability. Uh, anybody else that, that we've mentioned that you wanted to cover, or should we move on? I want to talk about Brianna Turner real quick. Um, I don't think either of us really liked her heading into the season. Now I love her. <laughs> like, we, we talked about when Griner departed the bubble and, and the Mercury had to change their entire game plan. She was defending everybody. She was defending everybody. Um, She doesn't get outside of herself offensively. She's pretty much what Phoenix, what that guard heavy, I mean, as far as the usage usage is concerned, they played almost exclusively through their guards. She's what they needed. You know, she's, she's a good screener and roller. She can catch, she can finish. And then defensively, she accounted for a lot of not very good defensive players. So maybe a little bit of recency bias, maybe a little bit of, um, you know, small sample size there. But, I mean, she showed a lot of things that I had no idea she could do, to be blunt. And what number did you have her again? I had her at 20. Okay, I had her at 23, and I feel like this, it it feels low for her, but I don't know. I I do think her season was a little bit overblown. Um, 
you know, she she definitely made a lot of defensive plays in terms of blocking blocking shots and stuff like that. I I don't really love her as a pick and roll defender, um, but I I do think she's only going to improve, obviously, defensively. And uh, you know, she was named an All Defensive Player. I'm not sure I I agree with that necessarily, but uh, offensively, I, I I do agree with you largely. You know, she she plays largely within herself. She's a, a complementary player on that end you know, much more of a, a play finisher. She's not going to try and, and do too much. Her turnovers are probably a little bit higher than you think. But other than that, um, yeah, I, I don't think I am quite where you are with her just in terms of, uh, uh, you know, kind of a reevaluation of of who she is as a player. But, but you know, she's good and she's she's better than the, the, the next tier. She's the last player I had in this tier. Well, I to uh, if I'm going to agree with you on one thing, like, to your to your arguments credit, I think Brianna Turner is another player who, if you look at the, if the center position was more heavily populated with the star talent, um, she wouldn't have looked as good. You know, I, I don't think like Brianna Turner is not defending Sylvia Fowles or John Cole Jones one on one very effectively. So, as a complimentary player, fine. She was she was she was uh, she had a special stretch of games there, but I'd like to see it uh, progress past that. We'll put it that way. Should we talk about Tina Charles or should we wait for an off-season preview? Uh, I mean, we're already running long on time, but it seems like we've skirted around this at every opportunity. So let's wait. Let's let's put okay. it off. All right, all right, all right, all right. We'll wait. We'll wait. Uh, so this is the last. Uh, we're now in my tier seven. Um, this is the last tier that I have that have numbers and, and real rankings. I, I do have two more tiers that are just kind of not in any order. But number 24, I have Steph Dolson. Number 25, I have Mercedes Russell. Oh. 26, uh, Maria Vidiva. Oh, what, what was that for? Because I also have uh, Russell at 25. It's, it's oh. rare to be agreeing on that, that low, this low in the... Uh, 27, I, I think a, a player a lot of people like a lot more than you and I do, Amanda Zowie B. Oh, I have her at 26 too. Oh, uh, th- 27 oh, for me, actually. Oh, oh damn. Uh, 28, Tierra McCowan. 29, Izzy Harrison. 30, Bella Allery. Okay, so I'm on tier six. Uh, in my tier six, I have Brianna Jones at number 24, number 25, Mercedes Russell, Zowie B, 26, Steph Dolson, 27, and also Tierra McCowan, 28. Tierra McCowan should be so much higher. Like, every time we talk about this, I get so frustrated. I know. I kind of don't, don't even want to talk about it just because it's, it's so negative. We sound so negative talking about her, but, you know, the things that she does well, she, she did really well. Like, she was a very efficient offensive player, but you know, you just watch five minutes of her defensively and you just see that it's not there. Yeah, not, not good. I, honestly, a lot of these players are, are frustrating to me that we, that we just talked about. But they're in this tier for a reason, so uh, let's not harp on it. Sure. So here's my, uh, here, my tier eight, you know, last big in the rotation, not really in any sort of order, but still, I guess, kind of deserve to play uh, probably. That's uh, Kalani Brown, a stew do. Uh, Natalie Achanwa, Glory Johnson, Carolyn Swords, Morgan Tuck, Ezzy Magbiger will probably be higher next season. Mm-hmm. Christina Nigue, Monique Billings, John Tell Lavender, Katie Lusanism. Okay, so I broke this up uh, deeper. So the, my, my tier six, they're like kind of like spot stars, but I'd rather have coming off the bench. Tier seven for me, bench players. You know, I had Ezzy Magbiger, Ruthie Hebert, Estu Ndu, who I was disappointed with last season, but I think is a lot better than what she showed. Jantel Lavender, who I was... <sighs> You know, the mid-range stuff, the long twos drives me absolutely nuts, but I think she's still better than a lot of the other players below her on this list, so I just put her in there. 
Um, Achanwo and Harrison, who I wanted to have higher, but then I looked into the numbers and I feel like they just can't really defend at a well enough level to be justified any higher. Um, Monique Billings um, and Jessica Breland, who I guess I still have some faith in returning to at least give you some things defensively. But again, like I couldn't justify having her any lower than anybody else. Sure. And, and you're done now, right? No, I have a, a tier nine that I uh, titled No Thanks. Oh. Uh, also, not Great in any delight. order uh, Marie Gulich, Stephanie Mavanga, Jessica Breland, Alana Smith, uh, Kia Vaughn, Kia Stokes, Candice Dupree, Teresa Plaisance, Megan Gustafson. You know, the rest of the <laughs> the league, Rashonda Gray, Crystal Langhorn, Erica McCall, Kayla Alexander, Temi Fagbenley, Jessica Shepard, Jisoo Park, Han Zhu, Kylie Shook. I think you can do better probably than, than these players. And then I have You're very a, picky. I only have eight players on my no thanks. Uh, I, I also have a, um, uh, a not ranked need more info, which contains mm-hmm. uh, four rookie bigs, uh, Beatrice Mompremier, Herbert Harrigan, Ruthie Hebert, and Lauren Cox. See, I think Ruthie Hebert, I think her game is pretty straightforward. What, what, what do you need more to, to form an opinion on? Well, she was great offensively. I just kind of want to see how she develops defensively a little bit more. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think she was good defensively, and mm-hmm. that's obviously very important for a player of her position. But I uh, want to see how she, she develops a little bit. No, I agree. But uh, I, I think she's a what you see is what you get. Uh, questionable defense and really, 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 really efficient offense. Um, if she can develop, I mean, as a Sky fan, that'd be awesome. But out of all the rookies, honestly, I think she's the most polished. Like, I also have in my not enough to form an opinion tier, my, my 8.1. I have Mon Premier. I have Allery um, because she was used so weirdly last year. Um, well, can Anju, we talk about her a little bit? Because I had her ranked. Okay, um, yeah. Um, I had her number 30. I thought she showed a lot of promise defensively. On offense, like, she, her, the numbers are a disaster. I yeah. obviously don't know her college game that well. Like what should she have been doing that she wasn't doing? Like the year? complete opposite. <laughs> you know, I, I had questions about her, about her defense and maybe it was because, um, and maybe this was sharp by Brian Agro to use her more as a, an interior defender rather than someone who's going to get put in ball screens often. Um, but I mean, she did show really good shot blocking chops, um, which did translate, obviously. Whenever you look at the mid majors, it's like, well, wh- which of this is going to translate and which of it isn't. Um, but the three-point shooting was barely there. Uh, the offense, I mean, her usage, I think, was pretty low. But she was not the unicorn-ish type of player that she was in college. Um, so that's that's why I say she's not enough to have a, to form an opinion. I need to see what she does under a different coach or with different talent surrounding her. And a lot of it was just circumstances on Dallas. I mean, who who's, who's playing the front court there? And I, I mean, they were starting Satsu Sabli at the five. They were starting Izzy Harrison at the five. They paid Stu and Thu six figures and then didn't play her at all. It was just a mess. Yeah, Allery, just to uh, kind of get it all out there, 36% field goals. She shot one for 13 from three, and she took 12 free throws. She made one season. three the entire season? Yep. That's weird. That's weird. Okay, that's not going to happen. I don't think that's going to happen again. That's weird. She also I, – I don't know how much of passing is, is in her game, but she had 11 assists and 11 turnovers. <laughs> not much of either there, but uh, – I mean, I, I had Cox as well, like really highly regarded college player, um, unfortunate injury circumstances. And I also had Jessica Shepard in there because I think she did show us some good things in her limited time as a rookie, but the concerns with the athleticism and the movement, like are only going to get magnified now that she's coming after a, coming back from a bad knee injury, you know, Hanju, like, I'll be honest with you, dude, 
I don't remember a single minute of Hanju playing her rookie season. All I know is that she's really tall and really long and really skinny. Oh, I remember. It wasn't good. It wasn't good? Well, a lot of liberty wasn't good there. Uh, and my premiere I have is a not enough to form an opinion. Um, I do think higher of her now than I did the, at the start, though. I thought she developed pretty nicely. And then I also have Katie Lou Samuelson because it's like, uh, of, of all the players here, she, I, she's the least comfortable. I have, like, I'm the least comfortable putting her as a big. But it's like, what else is she? Because she can't defend anywhere. And she's solely dependent on the three-point shooting being there. But at the same time, the three-point shooting is at a level where you could justify her being on a roster at any given moment. So, sure. eh. Probably closer to a no thanks, but, you know, she's only in her second season, so I'll give it to her. Yeah, I had her in, in, in last big in the rotation, so not quite in my no thanks. Um, so uh, going back throughout the list, uh, w- anything you're, you're not particularly confident in, um, you know, the, the least confident picks that you made? Hmm, least confident. I would say one Latoya Sanders because she's coming off a season in which she didn't uh, play at all and she's getting up there in age. Uh, Brianna Turner because like what happened with her last season was so anomalous. And uh, hmm, not much else. How about you? Uh, the two kind of um, MVP or, or MVP candidates – uh, Sylvia Fowles and Brittany Griner. I, yeah. I had Fowles 10 and Griner 12. Uh, it could definitely be argued that both of those are, are too low. Maria Vadiva, you know, I have her higher than some pretty good players. You know, uh, I mentioned the, the age already, uh, but I think I had, I had her 26 above um, Amanda Zowie B and, and, you know, Izzy Harrison, who I think is a serviceable player. You know, Tierra McCowan, who has a, a pretty high ceiling. Bree Turner, I had number 22. I think, you know, maybe I'm, I'm underselling her defensive contributions a little bit. So anyone else, or should we go on to our most likely to rise? No, let's go on to most likely to rise. Um, I think Vadiva is a no-brainer for this. Would you agree? Sure, yeah. I mean, uh, she hasn't really got in – her, in her two stints in Las, uh, Los Angeles, rather, she hadn't really – she's never really gotten a chance to be that full-time starter. I mean, she was starting for, for a, a hot minute, but – but then again, I mean, is she ever going to? I mean, I, I don't think she's going to start, but she could also still get buried again if, if they do find a way to bring back Shanae Agumike, Like, uh, Yeah, I mean, if, if Shanae keeps playing and, and Parker keeps playing, then yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be troublesome. But I think her, her talent and her tools um, are higher, you know, than – or make her – she's a, she's a better player. <laughs> than, I mean, than, uh, sorry? Oh, I was just going to say, I, I have Shanae higher on this list, but if you're asking me if I'm L.A., would I rather have – Maria Vidiva or, or Shanae Agumake next season, like I, I might take Vidiva. You know, she's uh, going to be less expensive, which, which is a consideration for, for them needing to bring back all three or wanting to bring back all three of their stars. And they pretty much don't have any wing depth at this point right now anyway. So for pretty much about to lose half their team in free agency or, or could lose, you know, they have six free agents, as we mentioned before. So, um, you know, I think Vidiva would be my choice. If and still so answer. young. Yeah. Just a world of potential with her. Um, I expect uh, Bella Allery to make an impact next season. I expect Lauren Cox to make an impact next season. I expect, uh, let's see who else you're looking at. Ezzy Magwiger, I expect her to rise. You know, right now I have, I have her as a bench player. I think she could 
be at, play at like a starting level coming off the bench. That's another weird situation where it's like, there's no way unless something goes disastrously wrong for Seattle that she's going to be starting. But I mean, she has the talents where in another very young international player where she could start on, or maybe that's, <laughs> I was about to say she could start on other teams, but maybe not yet. She's got the potential though. Sure. And, but, and it could be one of those things where, you know, situationally it'll make more sense to use Russell in some games. And yeah, that's, uh, that's true. In some games, They're so. just loaded over there. Who, who else did you have that um, could rise? Uh, I had Azra Stevens, but I was also lower on her in these rankings than you. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, I I had Lauren Cox ranked, and, and then I took her off, so she was she made this list. Uh, a little bit of a homer pick. I, I had John Quill Jones. You know, if she gets back to you know six twenty true shooting percentage levels of John Quill Jones, where where she was kind of at for two seasons in a row, um, you know, she'll definitely be uh, closer to the top of that that tier two than than the bottom of the tier two where, where she was in now. But that's pretty much all I had, other than the players that you had already mentioned. So. Uh, okay. Most likely to fall for you? Um, again, Latoya Sanders and Sylvia Fowles for age reasons. Um, unfortunately, Neko Gumake, and I, I kind of went over that. Uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? I, I don't think anybody who – I mean, maybe if someone like Jenta Lavender just falls out of the rotation completely or Jessica Breland, like, falls out completely – I would hate to see it, but it, it, it happens at some point. Is, is there anybody on there that you want to talk about? Uh, sure. My number 13 and 14 player, Damaris Dantas and Bree Jones. Uh, those could have been a, a little high for me. Um, well, Bree Jones, I mean, she's not going to be starting, so it's... I mean, I don't think she'll be back in Connecticut, so she might be starting. Okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. Maybe, there, maybe there's just no market out there for, for Bree Jones because the teams that need centers just do something else. So, um, but you know, Dantas, you know, just maybe, maybe a little bit too limited defensively and, and is propped up by some, some pretty great defensive front court players. So maybe I was a little too high on her. Some pretty great coaching too. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, anything else? No, I mean, I think we've, we've, we've gone long enough. Uh, thank you everyone for sticking, for hanging in there with us. Uh, this is a longer list, but that's because there are a lot of post players or a lot of bigs, front court players, whatever you want to call them. Um, we would love to hear your opinions and your feedback. If you catch us on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA, or you can yell at us uh, personally at Trinkwald or at Nemchuk E. We are on Apple Podcasts. We're on Google Play. We're on Spotify. So whatever your preferred podcast platform of choice is, hit us up. Leave a review if you want. Leave a rating if you want. It's all good. Um, Steven, it's been a pleasure, sir. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And, And Eric, this was fun as always. All right, everybody. Take care, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will catch you next time.